So good afternoon, everyone. Hi, it's wonderful to have you with us today. Um, a particularly warm welcome if you're new or visiting. Um, it's great to have you with us. So my name's Lizzie, um, and I'm one of the voluntary pastoral assistants at Kingdom Vineyard this year. So I specialize in worship and youth work. So you'll often find me out with our young people roasting marshmallows and leading games that involve running around with uncooked spaghetti on a Friday evening. You can ask me more about it later. <laughs> but today I have the pleasure of speaking to you about Daniel and the lion's den as a continuation of our series in the book of Daniel. If you have missed any of our previous sermons, I encourage you to head to our website and listen to them on our podcast. You'll find lots of gems there. This afternoon, however, I want us to invite us to focus on three things as we read this passage. And in good preacher fashion, they all start with the same letter, W. <laughs> um, firstly, what does it mean to invite God into our work? Secondly, what does our worship look like? And finally, does God inspire our wonder? All of this will be drawn from Jan Ooh, All of this will be drawn from Daniel chapter 6, a story that finds us towards the end of Daniel's life after he has been serving the kings of Babylon for over 65 years. Daniel has seen some crazy things happen in his time working for these kings from interpreting visions of statues to his friends being thrown into a fiery furnace and living to tell the tale, to watching a king eat grass like an ox. Quite the hit reality show back in the day. <laughs> but today's passage brings us to another one of those crazy moments in Daniel's life. And I'm going to invite Valerie to come up and read the passage to us. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this... The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, Make King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. 
So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. So a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den, and when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel! Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end.
He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Thank you, Valerie, for reading. Okay, so first up, what does it look like to invite God into our work? One of the things I find particularly striking about this story is Daniel's dedication to his work, despite living in exile and working with people who continually excluded him throughout his life. It would have been easy for Daniel to choose a life of bitterness and resentment towards the kings of Babylon, given their horrendous treatment of their subjects. For more thoughts on how we wrestle with the challenges of empire, see Sarah's sermon from a few weeks ago. Yet, Daniel is recorded here as being someone who so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He was a man in whom no one could find corruption because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. In a culture marred by corruption, rife with people seeking special favours and their own agenda, Daniel stands in stark contrast. He is a culture changer. God's light shone through Daniel in difficult circumstances, and I think he continues to do this today. We too can be light in dark places. In Colossians, Paul calls us to work, and in whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. For it is the Lord Christ you are serving. In other words, we can choose in every circumstance to offer up our work as worship to the Lord, as Daniel did. So whether you're working as a doctor caring for the sick, or you're currently writing essays, or you're a parent who is elbow deep in nappies, all of this can be transformed into worship of the Lord. Simply by using the gifts God has given us in our work, we bring glory to him. How might your work be an opportunity for God's glory to be revealed through you? What would it look like for you to be a culture changer in your sphere of influence? Could that be through challenging unjust systems? or showing kindness to colleagues in a place where everyone is constantly pulling each other down, or simply in delighting in your work. Perhaps take the time today to chat to God about how your work can be an act of worship to him. Daniel's witness at work also led to King Darius's worship of God. Daniel used his intellect and management skills, and in doing so, when he was promoted to a high position in Babylon, his faith became visible to the most important person in that region. God used Daniel to reveal himself to King Darius. The word describing Daniel's character here in the Aramaic literally meant that God's glory shone out of him. It overflowed from his person. 
He looked much like Moses did when he came down from the mountain after encountering God, except this was Daniel's everyday look. King Darius had been so impacted by Daniel's witness that he later cried to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, save you. Daniel's example from his years of service and dedication to God meant that King Darius is hopeful, even before he knows if Daniel will be saved, that God will rescue him. Then, upon his rescue, Darius bursts into praise of God. Daniel's faith has impacted Darius. Perhaps you want to be someone who is known for their faith. Often, people notice our consistent faith over a long period of time, much more than we realize. Remember, your life is the only Bible that most people will ever read. Do you feel that your life points to God in the way that Daniel's did? Or are you known by your non-Christian friends and family members as someone whose hope is in the Lord? If you think, actually, I don't think my friends and family do know me as someone whose hope is in the Lord, but I'd like to be then perhaps ask God to help you become that sort of person. Inviting God into our work also means inviting him into how we view others. In this story, we see how comparison draws us away from a life that is centred on God. Daniel's colleagues, the satraps, allowed the quest for status to become their idol. And in doing so, saw comparison and jealousy control their behavior. As soon as they heard that Daniel was going to be appointed to a high position, they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, because they were jealous of the favor given to him. Often, our tendency when we read the Bible is to scorn people like the satraps for their behavior. But when we take a closer look, How might our behavior be similar to theirs? I have frequently wrestled with feeling jealous of peers who appeared to get the top marks in their university work with their eyes closed, or who were better at music than me. I frequently cried when I didn't get a grade I felt was good enough. And like the satraps, I sometimes found myself wishing to see others fall from their academic pedestal as a way of feeling better about myself. These were not nice thoughts. But God met me in that place of insecurity and drew me to himself. It would start with repentance, with saying sorry to God for having those thoughts about others, others who were precious to him. Then, when receiving prayer, God would not suddenly magically transform me into someone who got a high mark with their eyes closed or a Jesse-level guitarist. Instead, he would speak to my insecurities and remind me of who I was in him. He would remind me that my identity was as his daughter, not the classification of my degree. But it also reminded me that he is in control. I cannot make everything in my life go the way I planned. As my mum helpfully told me, 
If he doesn't need another first-class degree holder, he won't have bothered with that. And that's fine. God has created you just the way he needs you to be to do what he has planned you to, for you to do. Wise woman, my mum. Perhaps that speaks to some of us today. Life has not gone as planned and everyone around us seems to be getting ahead. They are getting promoted, proposed to, buying a house or going on fancy holidays and we can feel resentful. Why doesn't my life look like that? Why are they doing well while I'm stuck here? Can I encourage you to ask God to speak into that space? Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. The thief in the Bible is the enemy. He brings destruction, resentment, and feelings of inadequacy. That is not what God has for us. I'd encourage you to invite Jesus to meet you in the places where you feel most tempted to compare yourself to others. To let Jesus speak to you about who he has made you to be. Okay, secondly, and I promise the points get faster. <laughs> what does this passage say about worship? Daniel exemplifies what it means to live a life in which worship is the highest priority. He didn't wait for trouble before developing habits of everyday worship. It's, when we, it's what we prepare during the times of consolation that will serve us in the times of desolation. Even in the face of extreme persecution, Daniel still felt that worshipping and praying to God was worth the risk of losing his life. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. The possibility of losing his life did not deter him from worshipping God. Similarly, there are millions of Christians around the world today who are persecuted for their faith, and yet still, against overwhelming challenges, feel that worshipping God is worth the risk to their lives and the lives of their families. Open Doors, a charity that helps support the persecuted church around the world, estimates that nearly 6,000 people have been killed in the last year for their faith. The slide behind me displays a map of the 50 most dangerous places in the world to be a Christian at the moment. Do you feel that worship is that much of a priority to you? I appreciate that in Scotland, we are not at risk of ex execution for our faith in our current world. But if we were, do you think you are someone who would still worship in challenging circumstances? Or when things are difficult in your life, is God the first person you run to? Or are there other things you cling to? Alcohol, unhealthy relationships, pornography, shopping. What or who we worship has a profound impact on our lives. 
it can sap the life of us or be the very thing that brings us life. In the case of Daniel, worship of God was transformational on multiple levels because it kept his eyes on the right thing, or in this case, person. Daniel was able to survive in an extremely hostile environment because he dedicated time to worshipping God. He clung to God. Against all the odds of having the Babylonian culture rub off on Daniel, instead, God rubbed off on him. He became like the person with whom he spent the most time. This allowed him to keep living a life for God amidst a culture that consistently rejected his faith. For all of us, living in a culture where Christianity is not the norm, we need to make sure that we are worshipping God regularly, both together as the church, but also on our own in the secret place before the Lord. This is not just because worship transforms us, but also because we serve a God who is worth worshipping. And this brings me to my third and final point. Do we marvel at the wonders of God? What we see God do for Daniel when he is placed in the lion's den is an awe-inspiring moment. In Babylonian times, the lions who were kept in these underground pits were often starved, making them much more volatile and aggressive. Later in the chapter, the satraps who had falsely accused Daniel met the fate intended for him, and the lions crushed all their bones upon entry, a brutal way to die. This is the death that Daniel was facing for worshipping God. And yet, much like in chapter 2, with the story of the fiery furnace that Chris preached on several weeks ago, in which Daniel's friends are unflinching in refusing to renounce their faith, Daniel here does not waver in his commitment to God in the face of death. Darius could not change the sentence as Babylonian law had to be enacted once it had been decreed. So God needed to show up if Daniel was going to live. And show up, he did. Daniel tells King Darius, my God sent me his angel and he shut the mouths of lions. They have not hurt me. Isn't that just amazing? I'm sure that in sending his angel, God not only protected Daniel, but brought him comfort too. God performed a miracle in a closed tomb. One of God's favorite places to reveal his glory. We see him use tombs as sites of miracles several times in scripture. Here with Daniel in the lion's den. Also when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And of course, as the place of Jesus' resurrection on Easter day. He turns places of deep darkness and despair into fountains of hope and life. Do you have any areas of your life that feel like tombs and you want to see miracles happen? Perhaps that is an addiction that is crippling or continued stress about finances or relationships that are fractured and broken. I've had times in my life when I felt that a relationship has been broken beyond repair and yet over time, God has healed them and brought peace into them again. Or maybe you have relatives who don't yet know Jesus, despite praying for them for years. 
recently on our youth weekend away, I got to witness some of our young people experience God and the Holy Spirit for the very first time. Something that we have been praying for as a team for months. And it brought tears to my eyes. God's kingdom is one of restoration and transformation. And we can experience that healing today. Perhaps that's what you need to pray for today. For God to turn a tomb in your life to a place of his presence. Through Daniel's story, we can see that God is interested in coming into every aspect of our lives. He's interested in our day-to-day work and our relationships to others in it. He's interested in us being people of worship. And he wants us to be awe-inspired at the wonders he performs. Perhaps some of what I have said today has resonated with you. And you feel God is inviting you to respond. Whether that's in a desire to worship God more, to spend time with him in the secret place. Or you long to see him meet with you in places of insecurity and comparison. And need him to remind you afresh of who you are in him. Or you want to be someone who spends time appreciating the wonder of God. And have others join in with you in the wondering. If any of that applies to you, or if you just want to come and receive prayer, we're going to have a time of ministry now, and you're invited to join in if you would like to. The band is going to come up and start worshipping. And if you'd like to receive prayer, may I invite you up to the front, and several members of our home groups who have been trained to pray will come and pray with you. But let's stand, and I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who closes the mouths of lions. That you can turn the most hard-hearted into worship of you. And Heavenly Father, as we come before you now, would you be speaking to us and ministering to us? Would you be showing us areas of our lives that feel like tombs that you want your light to come into? Mm. 